0: This is Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. We bring you the latest and best strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines. Welcome to today's program. This is Stephen Van Yoder of the Returns on Well-Being Institute. Less than 5% of Americans are sufficiently active, eat a healthy diet, or maintain a healthy weight and many suffer chronic health conditions and workplace stress that cost employers billions of dollars every year in lost productivity and higher health care costs. But while employee health and well-being is becoming a priority with employers, many workplace well-being programs are not fully successful, only partially successful, because they expect individuals to bear the responsibility of changing their own behaviors themselves. Here to discuss this is Dr. Richard Safir the chief medical director of employee health and well-being for Johns Hopkins Medicine where he leads the Healthy at Hopkins Employee Health and Well-being Strategy. Dr. Safir will draw from his new book, A Cure for the Common Company: A Well-being Prescription for a Happier, Healthier, and More Resilient Organization to provide an evidence-based roadmap for creating and shaping a culture of health. Rich, thank you for being here today. How do you define workplace well-being and generally then what role does that you know play in uh, workplace culture in supporting employee health
1: i consider workplace well-being to be the area of our health which is impacted by our workplace our co-workers and our actual jobs and ideally we'd be in a state of well-being with our workplace but unfortunately that's not Usually the case. Now, well being culture is, is slightly different than uh, workplace well being, in my opinion at least. Culture is the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes of a group of people. And so we're talking about the workplace and we're talking mm-hmm. about well being. So, well being culture at work is about the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes of the employees that supports well being.
0: Can you provide just a generalized example of, of how workplace cultures can either support well-being or hinder employee well-being?
1: You know, just the norms that exist within teams and departments and entire organizations really influence our behaviors. For example, if the norm is to check emails after work hours and on the weekends, then most likely the people on the team are each going to check their emails because that's the set expectation.
2: Mm-hmm. And as
1: a result, nobody gets the sufficient rest that they need. So that's a, a, a norm, a part of a culture that is unhealthy and does not support well-being. Whereas uh, a healthy part of a culture in the workplace could be something of the effect where, Team members know each other to the degree that they know who they live with, whether or not they have pets, what are some of the things going on outside of work, and this connectedness that can be created in a healthy workplace culture helps build collaboration and trust across a team, and it sets us up to be resilient in times of stress.
0: Employers spend billions of dollars a year on workplace wellness initiatives, and in our Returns on Wellbeing Institute's observation and from the data, and in your book, uh, you said that many of these well-intentioned wellness initiatives are not successful. Uh, What do you mean by that? Where do you think they fall short?
1: I do think that people in this space are very well-intended, and yet, I believe that the efforts to offer benefits and resources and programs fall short because they're being delivered in an environment in a workplace in a team where the the culture is not supportive of utilizing them and and then participating and being successful in them so for example uh you know i'm going to be very basic here i'm not saying that this is where workplace wellness is today But at one point, you know, workplace wellness was often defined by webinars or seminars on different topics like Mm -hmm. healthy foods. And, you know, if you have resources that speak to healthy foods, but then your team manager is putting down a plate of donuts uh, every Monday morning before the team meeting starts or there's no healthy options in the vending machine or there's no healthy options in the cafeteria, then the chances of us being successful in creating healthy food habits is pretty low. And so the culture really needs to support the, the objectives and the goals of the workplace wellness programming. What do you
0: mean by uh, cultures of health and you know, put that in the context of 2023? Why does that matter today more than ever?
1: Well, cultures have a huge impact on how we behave and how we think. And if, if you're a sports fan and you follow a specific sports team, then you probably uh, have a piece of clothing or more than one that supports the team. You probably know the team's song. Uh, you may be um, familiar with a certain food and the mascot. There's all these pieces about the sports culture that ties you to the other fans. Well, the same is true in the workplace. There are all these different parts of the workplace that contribute to the culture, and some of them support health and some of them don't. Now, in 2023, as we hopefully have seen the worst of the pandemic, there are some themes that uh, have emerged in the wake of the the surges that we experienced. So one theme is increased loneliness uh, of of Americans, including employees. Another thing, which probably is related, is the number of employees who work either remotely entirely or work in a hybrid um, setting. And then another thing that we've seen emerge is only a worsening of the mental health challenges that we had going into the pandemic. And so, Uh, When companies are successful in creating these well-being cultures or cultures of health in the workplace, Uh then our employees will feel less lonely, they'll feel more supported, and they'll have less stress, and their episodes of sadness or full-blown depression will be mitigated, and things will be looking much better.
0: Cultures of health. One aspect of a, a, a supportive workplace culture of health is peer support. What's in the cafeteria? Uh, you know, um, that's usually something companies doing in the way the you know employees uh, receive that messaging. You know, in- indirectly. Uh, but what do you mean when you say peer support? And you know, do you have an example of how that looks?
1: One of the fun things about writing the book, um, A Cure for the Common Company, was that I was able to draw from all the other books and research papers that I had read over the years. And so uh, I just looked over my shoulder and sure enough, I see the book Connected, uh, which goes through the science of how our peers, one degree, two degrees, and even three degrees uh, separated, influence our choices and our emotions. And in the workplace, Uh, Team leaders and the organization uh, at large can be very intentional in encouraging co-workers to work together towards similar health goals. And the workplace can be designed to support positive emotions. And so it's not to say that uh, everybody needs to eat healthier. It's just, Mm -hmm. if there are two people on the team who both want to eat more healthy, And to your point about the cafeterias on on the uh, organization, you know, that's not likely going to happen if people on the team haven't gotten to the point where they know each other as people, Uh, bringing back a concept I just shared a couple of minutes ago. So maybe the team leader can spend a little time each week focusing on something that's health and well-being related. Mm -hmm. And during those conversations or those exercises, it's highly likely that people are going to find similarities in their health goals and then start to work together to support each other to, to get to a healthier place.
2: You know,
0: your book is structured um, around building blocks for creating cultures of health. And you know, it really walks the reader through not just why to do it, what some of the you know, maybe inherent uh, challenges or uh, things that companies that may be attempting to do this may be overlooking, I think your book includes things like shared values, social climate, norms, peer support, you know, different building blocks. But uh, you might summarize that a bit. And I have a couple specific questions about other building block uh, type issues.
1: You know, after I wrote the book and I gave my first keynote uh, presentation since getting the book out, I realized that there is a phrase, the phrase plan for success can help us remember those six building blocks. Now, you already mentioned several of them, but let's do it in order of the mm-hmm. phrase plan for success. The P in plan stands for peer support. The L in plan stands for leadership engagement. So leadership engagement not just about mm-hmm. saying, yeah, we support this, but really having leaders be part of the solution.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: N in plan is for norms, and I previously gave a, an example and definition of norms. Then we go through the four and to the word success. The first S in success is shared values. Most companies have values, but they're usually handed down to the C-suite or the board of directors. Mm-hmm. When those values are created as a partnership between the executives and the employees, then they can be shared. And when that exercise happens, the values usually reflect some aspect of employee health and well-being which really helps employees want to stay in the game. And both the employer and the employee wins when shared values include employee health and Mm well-being. The two C's in success stand for culture connection points. That's the fifth building block. Culture connection points are the nudges that help influence our employees to make healthier choices and to be more likely to have positive emotions throughout the work day. I share a dozen of them in the book. uh, And these are really um, just being very intentional on how we approach our average business day uh, to make it easier to have healthier choices. And then the last S in success uh, for our sixth building blocks stands for social climate. And the social climate is how we feel about the people we work with and how we feel about working inside the organization in which we're employed Uh, and lots of different ways that we can shape that to be a good social climate as opposed to a negative social climate.
0: What specific role and what does success look like when, uh, let's start with the CEO, when the CEO embodies what you're talking about, their shared values, they've been acknowledged by the C-suite, by the workforce in a number of ways. What does the CEO do? You know, what? how do they manifest and uh, role model those values?
1: It's great if your CEO is a role model of well-being and that uh, can be articulated in a number of different ways. So sending messages uh, that are important, sending messages supportive of different programs, strategies, even sending messages about the importance of, for example, coworkers supporting each other mm-hmm. on their quest for healthy habits. But it has to go further than just talking about it. It would be great if every CEO was practicing well-being during their workday and making it visible. So maybe the CEO takes a lunchtime walk. And to make it even more special, Maybe the CEO takes a walk with one of the employees at the front line to just kind of get to know that person and and what challenges they face during the workday that interfere with their well-being. It can be a really powerful learning Mm -hmm. experience for the CEO and a great feedback loop to to make things better. CEOs uh, and anybody in a leadership position can go beyond the words and the actions of supporting well-being looking at the barriers to well-being during the workday so if people don't have the right equipment that can get frustrating and that Mm -hmm. can cause problems checking in with their own emotions during the workday because when a leader is stressed the people on their team are going to feel it even we could do a whole podcast just on what it means for the CEO to be a
0: role model. Frontline managers. Uh, you know, we, we hear in the interviews we've done, this is one of the toughest areas that uh, people uh, tasked within an organization, whether they're HR or, or wellness director, uh, is getting the frontline managers all the way on board, where they don't see this as a burden from their real job. You know that it's uh, it's a it's a distraction, and the companies you've seen that get it right uh, have been able to encourage and nurture the reality that employee well-being is actually something that can help frontline managers hit their numbers, do their core jobs. But what what have you seen about the role of managers and what it really takes as a you know as a building block strategy to get them on board?
1: Yeah, managers have a tough position, right? Because they're leading a team, but they're also trying to meet the needs of the people they report to. Mm. I call them the sandwich generation in Mm. the workplace. And uh, you're right, trying to get their attention and allocate time and energy is is challenging because they have a lot of demand. I, you know, think that we haven't really been super fair with managers because they either get promoted or they get a degree, like an MBA, or they they get um, hired into an organization as a leader, and very few of them get trained in their role to support health and well-being. Nor are they even helped uh, to be uh, aware of the importance of the health and well-being of their team on their successes, as, as you've laid out, Stephen. Mm-hmm. So what we've done uh, at Hopkins is that we actually address well-being when we do new manager orientation. Hmm. Every new manager, every new leader who's either promoted into their position or hired into the organization goes through new manager orientation and we include uh, information about why it's important and what they do as a team leader. We also have a series called 10-Minute Well-Being Tips for Managers and we purposely created it to be 10 minutes because we know how busy managers are. and uh, We've got 46 episodes, so managers can find the ones that sound appealing to them based on the the name, and they can just take 10 minutes to learn a little bit more and then go back and try it with their team.
0: You talk about manager training in your book, and I would encourage uh, listeners to pick up the book because uh, we're talking about things at a high level, but Rich gets very, very detailed in the book. If a company first realizes that managers require some sort of orientation training when this is part of their job description. And you mentioned some ways that you've done it. Ultimately, is this something that companies need to feel uh, is is a daunting prospect or can this be done and systematized and, 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 as you said, woven into orientations, job expectations? This doesn't have to be a deal breaker. I think that's what I'm hearing between the lines.
1: I don't think most organizations know how to go about doing this, and you know, my, my book offers a blueprint. It includes information about what to do at orientation, just for the mere fact I wanted it to be very practical so that organizations felt that they had a path forward. Uh, leaders don't have to be experts in this. That's why you have uh, your own teams, your own consultants, and you have resources. Um, like this podcast series, and you know Steven, I even created a training program based on the book it's uh it's found at creating mm. a dot com because some people really want to sit down and, and roll up their sleeves and be a better leader
0: companies that appear to have supportive workplace cultures, and let's assume they do, say that their cultures didn't really uh, emerge uh, intentionally, uh, they just sort of grew organically. And you know, in effect, um, they're telling us, either directly or indirectly, that culture was not a strategic priority, it's just something that happened and it seems to be working. You know, And while wellness directors that we've spoken with appreciate the role of culture in employee well-being, uh, they don't really have the authority to change certain key aspects of that culture. Do you believe that HR should be the department that owns the role of managing a company's culture?
1: Well, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement for <laughs> every organization. It doesn't seem that that is um, often the part of the organization that does shape the well-being culture. And yet it's pretty clear that human resource departments can't do this alone. They, right. they need to have everybody on board.
0: Let's talk about something we mentioned uh, earlier, and that is the role of employee, I'll call it employee input, in, uh, I'd say, designing, maintaining a, a company culture mm-hmm. that is not just you know, parachuted in right, from the C-suite. What does that look like, and what should that entail? employee gathering and including employee yeah. input and feedback.
1: I think that the 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 employee interest survey has been around for a couple of decades and I'm all for getting a organization wide uh, assessment where employees can let the wellness team or the employer know these are my health and well-being needs and here's my feedback on what you're currently offering and This is when I want, you know, my programming and these are the benefits I need, et cetera. Uh, And hopefully the employer is using that data to help shape the experience uh, to better serve their resource, uh, their their employees. But I have to tell you, Stephen, that's Mm. at a very macro level, and I strongly encourage team leaders to have the same conversation, not do an assessment of the people on your team like a formal paper assessment, but get to the point where your team and you, there's a high level of trust so you can discuss your own individual health and well-being team needs because then you'll really get to the um, more tailored and customized approach that each of us needs. Stephen, if you're a company of uh, 5,000 people or 2,000 people even, you you can't possibly have two thousand different programs or resources. Right. However, when you're on a team, you can get support from your coworkers and your manager for your specific needs. How can
0: employers, in, in your own experience, create a sense of openness and trust uh, in in the workplace where employees feel comfortable, safe, willing to speak up about what might be considered sensitive issues? Two of those come immediately to mind, and that is uh, speaking about their own mental health challenges, uh, you know, saying that they feel they they need help or they need uh, support in some way, or financial stress, which in our culture is something that people are very reluctant to talk about. But what would you say about in general, and maybe a couple of uh, you know specific instances, as I mentioned there?
1: Well, when leaders. Act as if they're human, and they are. It makes it easier for the people they lead to see them as human. And I can't think of too many things uh, more valuable than being vulnerable, showing your weaknesses, showing your challenges, on how that helps your team know that that you're human. So, what I mean by that, in the case of mental health, is hey, if you're having a stressful day, it's okay to tell your team, hey, I'm having a stressful day. (laughs) Uh, I do think that there's a way to make it easier to talk about financial stress just by showing some of the data that we have in our communities, the number of uh, Americans who are struggling to put food on the table, the number of Americans who are struggling to save money for retirement or pay off their debt. And when you put it in a bigger context, people will feel like they're not alone. And then uh, in order to have them come forward, perhaps a third party that's not in mm. the organization to share their mm. financial challenges with might right. be easier than someone inside.
0: So companies have heard this message, put it into practice, prioritize culture, and are intentionally creating cultures of health to support their workforce. What's in it for the companies?
1: I think every company has different pain points. And uh, for example, in healthcare, uh, the healthcare segment of the economy has seen a lot of professionals leave because of the overwhelming stress that uh, the pandemic brought with it. Yeah, and so we know uh, the healthcare companies, hospitals uh, and the like know that they need to supports the well-being of their employees or they'll continue to see people leave. Now, in other industries, uh, manufacturing and um, you're going to need to look perhaps at the number of injuries that you're having. Right. People think that injuries are really just related to machinery and carelessness, but we know that when people are well-rested, when they're less right. stressed, when they're eating healthy foods... and exercising regularly, they're less likely to have an injury in the workplace. So mm-hmm. we, we have to help those leaders think more broadly. Uh and generally speaking, Steven, we need to find the pain point that resonates with each specific company. You need to make connections, you can use published literature, you can use surveys, whatever it takes to resonate. Now I'll tell you, Stephen, even with all those, I often use a story because stories tend to evoke some emotional response. And that is often what gets the leader engaged enough to even listen to the facts. Right, right. That's part of the reason why I use stories in the book. Stories are really powerful and they're much more enjoyable than just sitting and listening to a litany of data points.
0: One consideration is rising to the top in the last couple of years, and that is... Uh, your employer brand or positioning your company as an employer of choice. Uh, That has become a top level concern for a lot of companies. What have you seen uh, and what is your what's your prediction or your you know uh, interpretation of what's going on here and where this all goes from employers perspective?
1: Employees are much more interested now than before the pandemic in working in an organization that allows them work-life balance and affords them well-being people don't want to be harmed any longer by their job if you're an organization that really wants to do right by your employees but also succeed in becoming a place of choice to to work then it's in your best interest to create a well-being culture.
0: Gallup, about a year and a half ago, and I've seen many more studies follow this, but uh, they asked a question of uh, a large sample about what mattered to them, uh, what employees, potential employees look for an employer, and data showed that all generations that were surveyed answered that the organization cares about employees' well-being as being in their top three criteria. So. Um, This is a big thing to watch out for, it's a big uh, opportunity, and I would say it's potentially it's a big threat uh, for companies that don't take heed. What are the top three things you'd recommend employers do to start the process of re-envisioning the role of culture in their wellness initiatives?
1: Yeah, uh, Stephen, you threw me a softball. I I can't help but think that if they (laughs) want to reimagine the vision, then they need to expand their perspective and they need to learn uh, about well-being culture. So certainly um, a cure for the common company, I would say, is a, a must-read for, for those leaders. Uh, your podcast, of course, your podcast series provides a lot of great insight as to uh, topics that can result in positive um, outcomes for the organization as well as the individual. And the third one, I'll just offer this, because it's on YouTube and it's free.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mentioned earlier that we have 10-minute well-being tips for managers. Hmm. And these are de- these were delivered, quote unquote, live to our Hopkins managers. But we kept the series up and it's on YouTube. You might check it out, and I'm not saying you have to use them uh, with your managers, but maybe use them for yourself. Or maybe this will give you some ideas on how you, the listener, might create something similar for your managers. Uh, I don't think managers are trying to harm the people on their team. I just don't think they've ever been given the resources to uh, to go there. And, of course, if you want an intense training, you can go to creatingawellbeingculture.com.
0: I think uh, we've accomplished what I set out to do in this interview, and I think it's uh, been very instructive.
1: I just want to thank you, Stephen, and just let people know that um, your um, podcast focuses on good outcomes, and there is a chapter in the book called Counting Culture, so I do share how you can measure uh, the work that you're doing as you build that well-being culture.
0: Rich, thank you again for being uh, a guest on this podcast, sharing your information. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. To learn more about our resources and programs that help employers make employee well-being a bottom line business strategy, please visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com.